into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geeks Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. That's right, we are the Geeks Watch, and we are back after the two-week hiatus, I think. Uh, we had a little bit of illness, and then uh, a, a trip that was planned, so uh, we left you off at the end of part one of our review of the Winds of Winter Game of Thrones season six finale, <laughs> and we will be back on for part two today. First, we want to talk about a little news, but first, I want to say, hey, John, how are you? How are you? Hey, I'm all right. How about yourself? Good. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing better, so <laughs> that's always that's a that's a good thing. Uh, Glad you guys got to have some fun in Vegas. Yeah, and then that was a lot of fun. That you know, having to get to p- participate in the World Series of beer pong in Las Vegas was uh, was a new experience. <laughs> uh, was it anything like Beer Fest? It was nothing like Beer Fest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, the competition was was great there. I mean, the the people, just about every team we played was was really cool, um, like very cordial. Even though everybody's competing for this fifty thousand dollar grand prize, is you know everybody was very much about the camaraderie. So yeah, the that's what that held us up. But uh, I'm I'm glad we're getting right back into it. So with that, John, uh, I know you had a few uh, or at least a one story from uh, Star Wars Celebration this past week about an Expanded Universe character. Yeah. If uh, if anyone knows anything about me at all, it's that I like Star Wars. <laughs> That's probably the first thing that comes up in conversation. Um, you know, we had a whole podcast. Our first one, as a matter of fact, was almost entirely Star Wars related. That's very true. Uh, yeah, so I like Star Wars. Um, I was never a big fan of the Expanded Universe because there was so much of it. And some of it, quite honestly, was just kind of weird and not good. Well, one thing I always thought was interesting about Star Wars Expanded Universe is that, like, a lot of fan fiction makes it into the Expanded Universe because of yeah. the way that, like, Lucas is so nonchalant about, was so nonchalant about the whole Star Wars property. Yeah, he just basically gave something a pass or a no pass, and it could be pretty much anything. Um, there was some definite good stuff in the expanded universe. I was a big fan of the um, the Republic Commando series until George Lucas realized that it was actually getting popular. So then he wanted to go in and micromanage it, and then he ruined it. 
Um, <laughs> so that, that's one of the main reasons why I didn't miss the expanded universe when they got rid of it with this big Disney acquisition of Star Wars. Right. So I was like, you know what? It's kind of good to cleanse the palette. There was a lot of stuff that's contradictory now anyway. Uh, some stuff was kind of silly, like that robot from Episode Four, A New Hope, that blew up. Um, it was an R4 unit. And then, like, Luke saw, like, hey, this one blew up. And that's how they got R2, if you remember that scene. Yes, yes, I do. Okay. There's a whole backstory to that of why that happened. Really? And it involves that that droid had a consciousness. Oh, yeah. I think you told me about this, or someone told me about this. Yeah, it's, I'm sure that came up somewhere because it was so stupid. Basically, <laughs> that, that droid developed a consciousness and he was force sensitive. <laughs> I remember the story was called Skippy the Jedi Droid. <laughs> and um, he basically freed himself from Jabba the Hutt's palace, wandered the desert, was caught by the Jawas, ended up in that yard sale with the, the Lars homestead. And then the Force told him to blow himself up in order to help R2 go with Luke. <laughs> now, I must say that that is technically an Elseworlds story or like a what-if scenario. Right. But the fact that that existed left such a sour taste into my mouth. I'm like, screw the expanded universe. You know? <laughs> but... However... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not everybody felt the same. And one of the biggest characters from the expanded universe that essentially got the axe uh, was a little blue character by the name of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, he was really prominent in the stories following immediately from where Return of the Jedi leaves off. Um, it was like the Heir to the Empire series, essentially. And Grand Admiral Thrawn was basically like the biggest badass, um, like pretty much on par with Darth Vader. He was a blue humanoid alien. I believe they were called Chiss. And what's unusual about his story is, if you remember in the original trilogy, you never saw any aliens or any women in the Empire. It was always basically just like stuffy British-sounding white men. Right. Well, the Expanded Universe clarified that the Emperor was a huge racist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not only that, he was also sexist. So he was, you know, a winning combination there. He didn't like women. He didn't like anyone that wasn't basically a white male. Um, So the fact that in the Expanded Universe there was this one character that made it all the way up to Grand Admiral and happened to be an alien, was supposed to speak volumes about, you know, his prowess and his career and all that. You know, like, he was basically a military genius. Um, He had, like, a perfect record. He was just the ultimate badass. He was like the John Wick of Star Wars. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, when they did the reboot or the reset of the Expanded Universe, that was the biggest character that I remember hearing about people lamenting like oh no more Grand Admiral Thrawn that sucks you know he was so cool well fret no more because as of celebration and the trailer for Rebels season 3 Grand Admiral is officially back yeah as per Disney anything that is part of the original trilogy part of Rebels or part of the Clone Wars series is official Star Wars canon now so his inclusion is What's that? Disney threw out the prequels? No, no, no. The 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 prequels are in there as well. Okay. That's what no, I thought. No, I wish Disney threw out the prequels. That would have been a good one. <laughs> you can't do it. They're or there. Or remake them. 
See, why can't we, we why can't we re bleh, why can't we remake the prequels? You know, we got a completely unnecessary remake of Ghostbusters, which I remember seeing that you actually thought wasn't too bad. I, I, um, I'm not gonna lie, I did I did have an enjoyable time. We can get in, we can get more into that uh, in another podcast, but uh, yeah, it, if... yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, a few other characters that are being brought back. Um, Darth Maul is also going to be making an appearance. If you remember, he was very much cut in half in Episode 1. Right. But as of Season 2 of Rebels, I believe he's made a come. Actually, as of Season 3 or 4 of the Clone Wars animated series, he came back. Somehow, I don't think they've explained yet, he was rescued. He had like a weird spider body for his lower half, and now he, I think he's back to two legs. Uh, but yeah, Darth Maul's back, and uh, they also tease that they're going to introduce Wedge and Tilly's, um, pretty much the only non-Force-using pilot to survive all three of the original trilogy movies. Right. Um, it's also going to be making an appearance in Rebels, possibly mm. telling the story of how he joined the Rebels. That was kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah, looking forward to it. Now, I didn't care for Rebels before, but now I'm going to have to watch it. <laughs> And then with uh, the new sensation that's sweeping the nation, actually, probably sweeping the world. Uh, oh yeah, Pokemon Go. I know you saw a little clip of something that was interesting. Yeah, there's way too many articles to cover about just the general ridiculousness of how crazy Pokemon Go is right now. Uh-huh. Uh, just to kind of summarize how incredible Pokemon Go is right now, and how I think it's officially it's... more popular than porn. <laughs> <laughs> and soon the two will combine and will be the biggest thing ever on the internet. Oh, I, I'm, I, I, you know, let's leave that topic for another day. Right, fair we enough. could probably talk about it. But yeah, sure enough, um, of all the craziness that's been coming out with Pokemon Go, I have to say, I, the one that really caught me by surprise was uh, last night's MMA fight uh, featuring um, Venom Page versus whoever the other guy was, Cyborg something. <laughs> right. I, I'm not an MMA guy. I know some of my friends are, and they can, you know, berate me about it later. In, tr- in true geek <laughs> stereotype, we don't know our sports all that well. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least we're not sports geeks ourselves, but right. there's others that are. No, exactly. Yeah, true. Um, so, yeah. So, during last night's fight, uh, Mr. Venom... Uh, gave a really impressive Sagat-style knee to the face to his opponent, knocked him out, then ran, grabbed a Pokemon trainer hat and a Pokeball, threw it at his downed opponent, and did the silliest little Chun-Li like finishing pose. <laughs> like, I'm talking the like victory the victory pose with the, the, the two victory, fingers yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> the, the two fingers up, and like I can almost hear him go like "yatta" or something. <laughs> This and is true. It broke my brain for like thirty <laughs> seconds. I was just in utter shock and awe. You know what's going to be the next thing that's going to happen is that some senator on the on the Senate floor is going to give a speech, and at the end of it, he's going to throw a pokeball at an opposing senator across the aisle, and that is means it's all gone. Everything has has become Pokemon now. <laughs> You know, that's not a bad idea. I don't like either of the two political candidates we have going on right now, but at this point, whichever one is pro-Pokemon, I might just vote for that one. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sorry for the country. May it rest in peace afterwards, because neither is a good choice, but 
It's either Kang or Kodos, you know. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we're going to spend time on on uh, news for this week. Uh, let's go right into our lineage this week, but it's not a traditional one. We're not talking about a particular person. It's something that we hinted at or we uh, came across last week or talked about a little bit. It was the prophecy. So I know you wanted to t- talk more about that. So what do you have for me? All right, well, just a quick note that this does contain book spoilers, so if anybody's reading along and hasn't caught up yet, you know, be warned. Uh, So here we go. So, yes, the prophecy. Uh, Melisandre has mentioned the prophecy of the prince who was promised and Azor Ahai, and there seems to be, like, several prophecies in the show. There's actually more in the book than they've shown in the show. And an interesting thing is they seem to come true a lot more frequently than they do in real life. Uh, the only problem is they have a little problem with interpretation, and you'll see what I mean here in just a moment. So the prophecy of the prince that was promised, uh, essentially in the Age of Heroes, which was something like six to 8,000 years prior to the events of the show, uh, the White Walkers were really making some progress in Westeros. And a character by the name of, of Zora High took it upon himself to kind of face this threat head on. And he wanted to forge the ultimate weapon. Uh, he did that by, you know, just basically starting to make a really nice sword. You know, in the, in the tempering process, you know, you plunge it in water to, to kind of cool it down. Well, it broke. I was <laughs> like, okay, I need to remake the sword. Uh, he got the bright idea, okay, next time when it's still burning hot, you know, and instead of plunging it in water, I'm going to plunge it into the heart of a lion. And, uh, you know, somehow some kind of weird magic is going to make that something viable because you wouldn't really do that these days. You know, it's kind of weird. No, that's true. You wouldn't want to plunge it into the heart of a lion temporary. Yeah, that didn't work either. (laughs) (laughs) So the third time, he's like, okay, I'm getting close to the point where I need to plunge it into something. And uh, I don't know what else to do now. Like, I'm kind of running out of options here. No water, lions, what else is there? Then his wife walks in the room and is like, well, and this is not verbatim. I'm sure the conversation went by a little differently. <laughs> but he was like, well, what about me? And he was like, all right, let's try that. <laughs> so then he plunged this burning, like, red hot steel into his wife's chest. It kills her. Like a sword's but... supposed to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, actually, whether it was cold or hot, yeah, yeah. it would still kill her. <laughs> but coincidentally, third time was the charm because now it worked. Now, whatever it was he was hoping miracle would happen, actually happened. Um, somehow, her soul imbued the blade with powers unimaginable, and you know, it, he pulled it out, and it was now glowing. It was had like the brightness of the sun. They said, you know, it was like he was holding a flaming sword. Um, so if you remember, like, the, the red priest, um, uh, what was his name? The one that's hanging out with the, um, with the, the Brotherhood bur- Without Banners. Right, the one with um, the man bun and the weird beard. Yeah, Thoros, Thoros of Myrrh. Yeah, that guy. Um, his favorite weapon was a burning sword because that's supposed to be kind of like a tribute or a symbolism of, you know, this, this is the guy that we technically kind of worship or something, you know. Right. Anywho. So yeah, uh, it turned out to work great. He kicked the White Walkers' butts like all the way back up behind the wall, 
And, um, you know, like most mortals, he ended up dying. And so then the prophecy stated that one day he would return. And the prophecy basically goes a little something like this. It says, There will come a day after a long summer when the stars bleed and the cold breath of darkness falls heavy on the world. In this dread hour, a warrior shall draw from the fire a burning sword. And that sword shall be Lightbringer, the red sword of heroes. And he who clasps it, clasps it <laughs> shall be Azurahai come again and the darkness shall flee before him. When the red star bleeds and the darkness gathers, Azurahai shall be born again amidst smoke and salt. So, taking what we know of that prophecy, there's several characters that actually fall under some of these criteria in the show and the books. You know, they both interrelate. Right. Um, Melisandre is interesting because she was trying purposely to make Stannis Baratheon fit within the prophecy. If you remember in the first episode of season two, when they introduced Stannis and the Red Priestess and they're burning their old gods and um, other people who won't convert. Right. Um, at the same time, there's a like a red comet in the sky. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. And um, she also makes him pull out a burning sword from one of the, the statues that they're burning. And they're doing this on the beach of Storm's End. All of this is because she was trying to make the prophecy fit by having him be born again amidst salt and smoke so that you have the beach and the smoke from the statues burning and the people being burned alive. And, you know, the red star being that comet in the sky. Um, you know, she was, she was trying to force it onto him. And kept convincing him that he was the one that this prophecy spoke of. And he totally bought it. You know, he was like, yeah, okay, well, I'm the one. That's why he was so convinced that, you know, victory was necessary no matter what the cost, including his own family. Because he believed that the ends justified the means. He, he was really looking at the bigger picture. He wasn't just looking for power. Uh, he wasn't just trying to sit on the Iron Throne. Um, it really came from a good place that just was really warped. Right. Um. Interestingly enough, uh, given the, pro the, uh, the visions that we had of the Tower of Joy most recently, uh, if you remember in the last episode, I said, you know, they paid special attention to show you something interesting, a little detail. And unless you really know what to look for, you'll completely miss it. But the, the sword of the guy that Ned Stark and the other guy killed had a little star or a little sun logo on the, the, the hilt of the sword. Right. And when he goes into the uh, the Tower of Joy, he sets it down at the foot of the bed where his sister is now bleeding to death. Where she gave birth to a certain child. To a certain little character, yes. <laughs> um, with a hell of a stare. <laughs> <laughs> and as you can already start to see how the way I'm talking about how several characters fit this criteria, you know, he was born under a bleeding star. Very true. If you choose to look at it by piece, piecing the things together like that. Yep. Um, you know, he was born during a long summer. And um, let's see here. He, he didn't pull a sword from fire. Jon Snow, that is. Um, but if you remember in season one, when the White Walkers, or the, when the 
the whites, I should say, uh, make it to Castle Black, and he ends up saving Jor Mormont, the Lord Commander at the time. He does so by sticking his hand. Well, he grabs a, a lantern, was it? Like a lamp? Uh, he burns his hand in the process, but he uses that to burn the white, the the uh, the white. And in in doing so, Jor Mormont rewards his bravery by then gifting him with the Valyrian steel sword of Longclaw. Now, so the idea being have to, that he burnt he, to save Mormont, who gives him the sword, he burned his hand, thus a burning sword. Yes. So. Yeah, that that's just one of the interestingly frustrating ways that George <laughs> R. R. Martin likes to pull these things. Um, and yet another character that kind of fits this prophecy is Daenerys. See, she too was born again in salt and smoke because she threw herself into that funeral pyre for Khal Drogo. Correct. And it could be seen that much in the same way that Azura High killed his wife in order like basically to, to give birth to the ultimate you know weapon. In a way, burning Caldrogo at the pyre, along with the witch, um, gave birth to Daenerys' most powerful weapon, her dragons. Correct. And all of this also happened under the same red comet that uh, Stannis Baratheon was looking over, or, you know, under. Right. So here we have three different characters that now... Um, well, two, actually, because Stannis, we have already seen, wasn't the true one. Right. You have two characters that both fit the prophecy, you know, with some level of stretching. So that's kind of interesting. Um, in the Valyrian that the prophecy is taken from, based based on how their language works, there's no, uh, like, noun, I guess, for male or female. So when they say prince, they don't specifically mean a male. They just mean the son, or the child of nobility. Yes, and and you have to use context to figure out which is which, you know. Um, so that's kind of interesting that it could be either one or it could be both, and that ties into something kind of interesting because there's been another prophecy, sort of, that states the 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 dragon always has three heads, meaning the Targaryens. Right. Uh, the the number three is super important when it comes to Targaryens. Um, you know, there was three Targaryens that came and conquered Westeros atop three great dragons. Um, there's been three great Mad Kings or something to that effect. And currently, there's two people that fit the prophecy of Azura High, but there's three dragons. So that you know if if you're going to be kind of a conspiracy theorist like I am about this situation there's still one more unannounced or undiscovered targaryen that's going to be the third dragon so to speak right in uh in the battle against the returning white walkers so interesting uh, little prophecy there uh, there, there are several others. I mean, there's also the stallion that mounts the world. It's the the prophecy that the uh, the Dothraki have. Right. And um, a couple of others that uh, I was a bad co-host and didn't have ready for this. <laughs> but it's essentially kind of tying in with how like the faceless men work, saying you know they're all the same god. It's the many-faced god or whatever. Right. Well, there's also this prevailing theory that 
it's all the same prophecy. It's just different cultures' interpretation of it. Right, exactly. As as a different culture adds in things that are relevant to their culture, it's it's still the same prophecy, just with different flair. Yeah, basically, they add a little spice of their own now. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of interesting that we still have yet possibly another hidden Targaryen or another one that fits the prophecy um, to some degree. Um, and as we see with Melisandre, prophecies can be very misunderstood. You know, it doesn't matter how much you believe that they're correct, you know, that, that they're still open to interpretation apparently. Correct. So um, as more develops, because uh, I don't want to give away the whole thing right now, uh, we'll go more into other prophecies, like the, the visions that Daenerys had and maybe comparisons between the book and the show differences. Um, and also some of the prophecies that we have not seen in the show, but were in the books, like the ones that Quaith gives to Daenerys. If you're, Quaith was a character that you saw only briefly, um, she was the one that had this really interesting kind of chainmail mask. Okay. She spoke to Jorah a little bit. Right. And yeah, she was kind of mysterious. Well, yeah, she she's has a few more scenes in the book. Uh, there's other prophecies that people like um Arya run into although in the show they kind of they they kind of combined different characters and made Melisandre give her sort of the prophecy of like we'll meet again but in the show it was definitely or the book it was a little different all right well then that will take us right into our part two of the season finale for season six of Game of Thrones the Winds of Winter which we talked already about uh basically Cersei getting her revenge on the the faith militant and then uh, a little bit of the tower of joy. So I know you wanted to start with one of the lesser stories first today. <laughs> one of your least favorite. Perhaps? Yes. One of my least favorite. And as, as uh, listeners have known from the past, uh, I do not like Sam Tarly's character or his story. <laughs> Is it because he's just so good? So like well-natured. No, like I, I'm okay with good characters. I mean, especially in this world where you know good characters are are few and far between because it's not a world where you can be a good person and live, as we've seen from, uh, you know, Ned Stark. But his character is just written so buffoonish that I, I can't take him seriously, and and you know people constantly have to uh, look out for him, even though he. Yes, he and he did save Gilly, and he he wants. To, I don't know. To me, that that type of character that that's being written there is just so out of place and such a lazy part of writing that I don't. I just don't like him. So obviously, the reason they're keeping him around and they keep telling us the stories that he's going to mean something later on and something big is going to happen with him. But I just don't like him. Fair enough. Well, <laughs> thankfully, his section of this of this show was super short and sweet, and um, it starts with him and Gilly arriving at the Citadel in Old Town. Citadel being a huge tower, which is also the center from which the Maesters learned their craft of healing and knowledge and wisdom and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, he shows up, and you have this <laughs> interesting-looking receptionist dude. <laughs> who just cannot be bothered. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is like the Westeros version of the DMV, and he's just like this power-tripping, like, clerk. 
Like, and it, won't even reach over to grab his paperwork. He, like, Sam has to, like, scooch over as far as he can to hand over his documents or whatever. <laughs> it's like, from the maesters that we've seen so far, we've we've got uh, Grandmeister Pycel. We had the one at the at the at the Castle Black. Um, this one, and then Cersei's maester that used to be a maester but is no longer no longer one. You know, like there's such there's such different types of people. Like you you gotta wonder what kind of people that decide to take on this calling. I guess. Yeah, they. It. It's the learned men, I suppose. I mean, people like Sam, I guess. <laughs> they don't really fit in anywhere else. They're not strong. They're not warriors. But, you know, they like reading. Right. You know, so, I mean, and Sam on. Sam would probably be closer to, um, in personality, to the one that was at the Castle Black. What was his name? Uh, that was uh, Maester Eamon. Okay. And he was related to somebody, right? Yeah, he was a Targaryen. Okay, so he was a Targaryen, uh, and then, uh, and then Pycelle obviously just wants wants or either he didn't want it at first, but now he's in it for the power and the the glory that comes with being the the maester of the king. I think he just liked the perks, yeah. Right. Yeah, like he was kind of a background character, but he had a lot of benefits, like banging girls at brothels and. <laughs> kind of having his way now and then fair enough so yeah and then obviously this guy is just i don't know if he just he's more dedicated himself to just learning stuff but he doesn't even want to be helpful to anybody that comes up to his desk yeah i call him snooty mcsnooterson because he's just like <laughs> such a jerk <laughs> so yeah they have a quick little exchange about how his his paperwork is not in order he didn't fill out the right form or something and you know, this is most irregular. And Sam tries to be kind of witty. And I was like, well, that's kind of life, isn't it? You know, like. <laughs> okay, and see, like this is where I kind of had a problem, though, too. Because he says, no one informed us that uh, the first. Uh, what's the knight's commander? The, the commander ha- had died, or that the other maester had died. But, like, everything else that happens in Westeros. Instantly, people from far away know what the hell happened. Like, they're, the the crows have gone and have told everybody everything, like, instantly. Because the scene cuts to somewhere else and Cersei already knows that so-and-so died in, at at the fucking veil. You know what I mean? But yeah. yet, these, these guys, the learned men, <laughs> who were supposed to be the record keepers of all of Westeros, don't know yet. Well, see, that's actually there is kind of an in-show logical reason why that is, but it is kind of a stretch. Um, or the ravens? Basically, yeah, Sam kind of explains that their maester was kind of ill and you know didn't have the chance to write letters, and then a lot of stuff happened in like a really short period of time in order for them to kind of whatever. And then Sam also lost their ravens when they went up north looking for Benjen and the other range. Uh, the the missing rangers oh um i remember that that was like the lord commander kind of berated him for screwing up he was like this was your only job sam (laughs) like this is this is why we brought you along and you messed it up um so that could be kind of implied that well they just didn't have any real way to communicate plus they had all these other problems 
Plus, yeah, Master Amon was like sick and dying and plus whatever. there's always not that, that is a slight kind of flop plot hole, I guess. And then um, there's always there's always someone that says kill any raven that goes flying out of there or something like that too. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, the the Boltons and others would intercept ravens, and I mean, if it was a message that didn't pertain to them or didn't help them in any way, it's not like they would send it back in circulation. It just that was it. It was wasted. <laughs> so the, yeah, there is some logic to why the word didn't get down to the citadel, but I at the same time, yeah, it also does kind of make seem funny that. You know, like sometimes a mouse will fart in King's Landing and they already know about it in Marine like two days later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, obviously, because, you know, uh, Varys knows how to teleport between Dorne and, and Marine. So. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's like the most overpowered character. <laughs> so, yeah, after their little goofy exchange about bureaucracy and whatnot, he says, well, you can hang out in the library in the meantime while we figure out what's going on and no women are allowed, so she has to stay here. And Sam's like, uh, yeah, just hang out here. I'll be back. <laughs> then he walks into the library, and it's like his Harry Potter moment where he just is in complete awe and wonderment of like all the books and <laughs> all the cool stuff. There was a neat little Easter egg in there, too. I don't know if you noticed it, but when they do like a pan from the ceiling, um, you actually cross over the that kind of gyroscope-looking thing that you see during the credits of the show. Oh, no, I didn't realize that's what I was looking at, but I mean, yeah, now now thinking about it, yeah. All I could see, all I really focused on was how uh, they were using the the window, the natural light, and then b- reflecting it in several different directions, that there's always, like, light somewhere else in the library that wouldn't get light from that window, you know what I mean? You know, I noticed that, and it reminded me of the fifth element for some reason, I kept... <laughs> In my head, I kept thinking there was somebody in the background going, like, Aziz, lights! <laughs> Aziz, lights! Thank you, Aziz. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. But I would, I did want to bring up something about the conversation that uh, Sam had with the receptionist guy. But he mentions the the Archmaster will, will talk to you eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Is that a character that... Uh, has been spoken of in the books before like i don't remember hearing about one in the mo- in the show um there's actually several archmaesters i believe uh he was just kind of making a general basically saying my supervisor's going to talk to you okay uh, sort of situation so yeah there's no named archmaester yet however there does seem to be uh, a side plot in the books having to do with the citadel and and the faceless men uh-huh. And they do kind of mention something about, you know, Archmaster's this, and they're having a meeting about that, and something's going on kind of thing. And so, yeah, it, it's not a named character yet, uh, but there might be something going on later about the the hierarchy going on there. And do you know if the whole Maester uh, group, federation, whatever it's called, like, does it have a... A, like a council or does it have like one person that's the 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 leader or i don't think they have central leadership that's actually a pretty good question they haven't really revealed the inner workings of how that system works um they do have a hierarchy but i don't believe there's like a figurehead there's no pope i don't think so okay because that would kind of tie into like the faith militant and the the sparrow kind of thing. Right. And although they do learn about religion, they're not specifically religious themselves. Right. 
I, I mean, I was just saying Pope as a that. general like leader kind of thing, not not so much that they were that their Catholicism or anything. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, we might find out together. But no, <laughs> I, I think it's more of like just that, like yeah, like you said, a council. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, that's that's as soon as Sam walks into that library, it's almost like he forgets all about Gilly and and little <laughs> yeah. Sam. So he's now in his little world while she's just sitting in the lobby having to deal with the kid. Yeah, and it didn't look like there was any place to actually wait. It was just like a big empty hall. So it's going to be standing there with the kid or essentially at some point leaning down. Uh, well, she should have gone to the market or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get a hotel somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so where do we want to travel to next? All right, well, next we're going to finish off the north. Starting with uh, Sansa and John, kind of reconciling over everything that has just happened. Um, you know, there was a lot to take in, so they spend a little time together up in one of the walls uh, of Winterfell. Uh, basically saying, like, hey, you know, so, like, the Knights of the Vale really came in, you know, came through for us, but it would have been nice to know about it. And she basically kind of was like, well, yeah, but, you know, in in her words was basically saying, I didn't know whether I could trust you or something like that, or if it was even going to work. He says, well, we know we need to stick together. We're family and all that good stuff. And then it starts snowing, which I guess is supposed to symbolize that winter is coming. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, the scene actually begins with the White Raven traveling to Winterfell. Which, if you remember from the previous season, uh, White Ravens are sent out from the Citadel to the different um, kingdoms and um, like areas to announce that the change of the season has officially started. So the last time we saw a White Raven, one was at the Red Keep, and they were saying it's uh, summer's officially over. We're now going into like autumn, and now it's autumn is over, and we're going into winter. To which John kind of has a moment to find the humor in the situation and says, "Well, Father did always promise." <laughs> uh, of course, referring to the famous Stark words, "Winter is coming." Correct. <laughs> So yeah, that was kind of a nice little moment that they had there. Uh, another little moment in the north that wasn't as nice was uh, Littlefinger and Sansa having a conversation in the Godswood uh, where they have their, their white weirwood tree. Uh, Littlefinger essentially talking about collecting payment for the huge favor he just did her. And, you know, she's all like, well, what do you want? And he's saying, well, you know what I want, and tries to swoop in for a kiss. Yeah. And uh, from this point on, I kind of want to refer to him as Uncle Creepy instead of Littlefinger. <laughs> well, he does have the the mustache for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like Bronze uh, comment on that when referring to Littlefinger. He says, "Yeah, what's going on with old twat beard?" <laughs> that, like that you know be... what? That is perfect. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> well. So yeah, Sansa basically kind of leaves the the scene, not really confirming or denying anything. Um, but it's a little unnerved because she found out that Littlefinger's endgame is he wants to be the king of Westeros. He and, wants to sit the Iron Throne. But then he also specifically says that he wants her by his side. Yes, he wants her to be his cat replacement. So now... I mean, obviously, the character of Sansa is, has grown, changed quite a bit from when we first saw her as a child beginning of season one. 
she has gone through a lot being married to Joffrey, being married to Ty. Well, she never married to Joffrey, right? She was no. so being betrothed to Joffrey, being married to Tyrion, and then uh, having to be married to Ramsay Bolton, and that was at the hand of Littlefinger, like making it happen. He says something like that to her. Do you think she is enticed by it, or is she more like, "I'll let this fool think this is what is going to happen"? Whereas I really want power for myself. Do you think she wants power for herself? Do you think that she is now craving to be the leader of Westeros? No, I I think all she wants is just to not be a victim anymore. Like she she looks like she carries herself a lot better now. Like obviously because she's been through a lot, and she kind of learned a little bit about how to play the game with Littlefinger. But I don't believe it's in the pursuit of power for her. It's more like. You know, I just want to be me and not have to deal with assholes all the time, you know? Um, so, yeah, like, thankfully some of the biggest ones in her life are now dead. But it could be that Uncle Creepy now might present himself to be more of a antagonist than anticipated. Yeah, and... If it, he doesn't get what he wants. Obviously she has to see that... Uh, I mean, maybe he... I mean he might be actually interested in her as a love interest, but he really wants to use her more for her title because she's the the last living heir, as as far as he knows, to the North, and which then gives, if they get married, gives him a foothold into being the new king of Westeros. Yeah, but that could also go counter to Littlefinger's plants at the same time it's interesting like like we were mentioning in the well we'll get to that part a little bit later but during the big king in the north scene sansa and littlefinger exchange a couple of glances and you know they look like there's a little bit of uneasiness in there about what's going to happen in the future right so yeah getting getting to that scene or if you want to be right before that scene is the scene of the Tower of Justice, which we've we've talked about. Ah, uh, uh, you did it again. Tower of Joy. Damn it. <laughs> I'm more of a comic book person. So I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's all right. It's all right. We, I screw up more than enough. For Before, us, be, be, uh, I don't know if I ever asked this, but where is the Tower of Joy supposed to be? Oh, it's in Dorne. It's in Dorne. Oh, okay. Yeah. So That's why it's all like deserty looking when they get there. Ah, uh, that makes sense. So, um... Uh, with the the ending of that that scene, the the babies staring into the camera or staring into uh, at Ned Stark, and then you have a staring Jon Snow. We're supposed to infer from that that the two are the same. Yes. Um, do you think Ned Stark loved Jon Snow as a son, or did he only just take it on as as I need to protect my nephew because my sister asked me to? Uh, I really do think he loved him as a son, but okay. I think he he didn't show it enough for several reasons. Um, one, I mean, well, first of all, he, he did kind of have to show it to keep up appearances. Right. But he – it's hard to describe now because that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, it's, to keep it's, it simple, yeah, he loved him as a son, I want to say. He took him on as if he was his own. It's unfair because we really don't get to see much of their relationship because as soon as the show starts in season one, 
uh, you know, it's already, he's already, Jon Snow's already made the decision that he's going to go join the Night's Watch, right? Uh, he pretty much makes up the, well, yeah, as of like the first couple of episodes, he's mulling it over and then he talks to his uncle and is like, yeah, I think that's going to be what I'm going to have to do. I'm mean, like, I don't really belong here. And, um, yeah, he would always, like, even in the first episode, like, one of the biggest moments he has early on is, you know, he notices that Caitlyn Stark is just glaring at him, like, you are the reminder of my husband's infidelity, you know? Right. So, um, so yeah, I think he was pretty much set to go. Um, and, I mean, if he, if he needed any convincing whatsoever, you know, after Bran has his fall from that one tower and he goes to say goodbye, Caitlyn's like, get the hell out of here, like, you don't you don't belong here you're not family right basically and you know that was kind of like well no she's kind of right you know i'm just gonna go now be mopey at the wall now so yeah and then and then we had we talked about how the, he had that conversation with uh with ned stark about the next time i see you uh i'll tell you who your mother is or tell you the truth or whatever like that yeah he says he's gonna tell her tell him about her, his mother that doesn't seem to i mean in retrospect now, it doesn't seem like he was going to tell her or tell him. And, of course, there's no way to know now because he died and that never happened. So this is all just speculation. But I have a feeling he still wouldn't have told him the entire truth. He would tell him about her, but not exactly who she was or the hmm. relationship of the situation. Okay. I think he would have just been a little more open about it. And it's probably something that would have happened in time. He would have just gone out and told him, like maybe even after Robert died or something, you know, natural causes or something. Right. But it wasn't something he was willing to disclose until he was absolutely sure that it wouldn't have any kind of future ramifications. Like, well, now you know the truth. You're a Targaryen, but you can't. I mean, nobody can do anything about it. You're untouchable. Right. Okay. So, uh, we get into the the hall, the Winterfell hall i guess it's where they're uh uh they we've seen like bran was holding court and telling people giving judgment and stuff like that in previous episodes but now we have uh these other families these other houses that have come to i don't know praise the new lord of winterfell well yeah it's it's it has it's the retaking of winterfell the uh the realigning of the houses um, not everybody was there, obviously, you know, like the Karstarks basically betrayed the, the Starks completely. Um, so unless they have other family members that are like, nah, don't, don't listen to those guys. Like we're, we're still with you. They, they just rebelled or something. Yeah. Pretty much it was like, okay, so we're the Starks. We're back. You know, you thought you forgot about Stark. <laughs> I want to make Dr. Drake look that came out terrible. <laughs> um, but then, and, and basically John just wants to talk about, Hey, look, the real threat is coming and we all need to band together to fight against it. But they're, they're fighting amongst themselves because they don't want to, they don't want to be aligned with wildlings and, you know, they still have, uh, the Lannisters to deal with and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the, uh, the houses are still fractured due to the, the war of the five Kings. And that's essentially what this is. It's like, look, this guy, we got to put all this crap behind us. Um, I mean, they even welcomed House Glover, which if you remember from the, the Battle of the Bastards, he was one of those that refused to go. It was like, we've already lost so much to you guys, and no offense, but your attack seems pretty weak. Right. 
And this time he was like, you know what? I really regret not coming to help you. And um, that'll never happen again. So yeah, it's basically it's re- it's forming solidarity between the houses of the north because they do have kind of like their own separate thing from the rest of the kingdom. Right. And they're like, you know, we have to rely on each other. We need we're gonna have to help each other. And winter is coming. Of course, that always makes its way into that thing. And the dead come with it. Right. And yeah, there's wildlings here, and I know that most of you don't like that because for the longest time we've been fighting against them. You know, they're not supposed to be here, but you know and then these things have happened they actually helped us you know, we're, you know there's a much bigger threat we have a common enemy and all that stuff so yeah it was basically just trying to rally everyone under the banner of stark and honestly i think he was just trying to use sansa as the figurehead because she is you know the only legitimate stark at the moment so they were trying i think he was trying to build her up and saying look we need like you know we have a stark in winterfell there must always be a stark in winterfell and now everybody you know you you need to realize that there's a much bigger threat, so let's put all this stuff behind us. And then uh, little Liana Mormont. <laughs> In a room full of them. middle-aged men, quabbling yeah. and squibbling amongst, amongst each other, we have this 12-year-old girl stand up. Yeah, and she says, you know, we know of no king except the king in the north whose name is Stark. His name isn't Stark, but he has the blood of a Stark. And, I mean, she basically implies that he earned it by how courageously he fought in the previous battle, you know, like against insurmountable odds, you know, they defeated the Ram- the Boltons. And he says, he's, he's my king now. I mean, damn, what more proof do you need? You know, like, <laughs> he wasn't born a king. He's, he made himself a king. <laughs> and everybody was like, yeah, all right, I'll go with what the 12-year-old says. <laughs> Well, you know, that's I, I love the first guy that, that decides to speak up after she does and he's just like he's just like like he's like probably the oldest looking guy there and he's just like <laughs> Lady Mormont is correct and you're like you gotta be like as the, as that dude he's gotta be really set like sit next to himself and just be like Yeah, I'm about to call this child a lady and, and say that she's a lot smarter than me and <laughs> a lot braver than me. So, the, well, for starters, she was actually at the battle. It's true, she was. So, I mean, yeah, yeah you have to just eat eat your crow and and shut the hell up. So, this is where you were talking earlier. After they, everybody's now supporting, or like they're literally chanting, "King of the North, King of the North." Uh, Littlefinger shoots a shoots a stare at 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 Sansa. Yeah, and talk about a loaded stare if there ever was one. I mean, given their conversation they just had prior about how he wants to be the king and, you know, for her to be by his side, and he doesn't seem like he'd be the kind of guy that would want to have another king, sharing Westeros. You know, that was kind of the problem before when they had the other king in the north. So this is huge because it's implying that the one who's their biggest ally that saved the day might actually become their next big antagonist. Right, and I think, I mean, obviously, Sansa knows from her conversation that she had with Jon Snow earlier that only a fool trusts Littlefinger. That he is going to be in this for himself. He's in everything for himself. So, I honestly don't think Jon Snow, one, doesn't really want to be the king of the North. Nor does he want to be the king of Westeros. So, if it came down to it, and and Littlefinger didn't have him murdered, he'd be like, 
yeah, just let me be the warden of the north. You can have Westeros. Like he he doesn't really care. He'll probably he'll come because he's super noble as he is. He'll come to the aid of of Littlefinger if he needs it. But he doesn't want to be the king. That's how I feel. How do you feel? I think he just wants to have all the power. I think he he's on a. You mean Littlefinger? Yeah, Littlefinger. Right. I think Littlefinger is on a pathological quest for power now where i mean once he gets it i don't think he's going to know what to do with it like from a previous episode he described basically life as a ladder that's kind of a strange analogy but he said like there's no end point there's just keep trying to be one step above where you were before well th- i mean it makes sense because uh, earlier in the show not this episode but in the seasons he explains how he doesn't he didn't come from a a house right he didn't come from nobility uh he he created his own house when he when he finally got some type of standing yeah so i mean uh, he sees it as as whoever's on top is is the best and he just wants to be the best the most powerful so yeah i mean i get what you're saying so with that whole idea of only a fool, and I have, to, I have to admit, I got this from a meme that went around on the internet, but only a, she says only a fool would trust Littlefinger, and both her father and her mother both trusted Littlefinger, and they died. Yeah. Uh, do you think that she has a plan for him? I think so. I think she learned a lot being under his tutelage, and... She's going to set up some kind of play of her own. I mean, she's definitely in the game now. Um, what exactly she's going to do, I, I can't wait to see myself. But I think she's going to try to play him and, you know, make him think he's on her side. I don't think he would ever truly trust her either. I I've, think to him, she's really more just of a, like a trophy. I th- yeah, at this point, I think she he knows... I think he knows that she's been through too much, especially the way that she talked to him that last time when they had that secret meeting. Uh, that, you know, when she explained that you sold me to, to Ramsey or you gave me to Ramsey and stuff like that. So he knows that she she's a, she's a little smarter than she used to be. But I think he still thinks of her as being naive or at least he's seen her through like rose tinted glasses because he's, he, he might actually be in love with her. Yeah, and that could be, like, her ticket to getting one over him. Right. Is by using that to her advantage. Yeah, if she's smart enough, she'll use that to, his, to her advantage. Yeah. And, um... But, yeah, it's interesting to see. I mean, I don't know if... At, at this point, too, we don't really know what Jon Snow wants other than to just make sure that the White Walkers don't actually come down and kill everyone. But... You know, it, there's also the the everything that he's carrying with him, given that he also was just recently resurrected, and you know, dealing with the betrayal from the the Night's Watch, and you know, trying to figure out what his place is now. Like he didn't want to be king; he was made king, and he didn't turn it down. But I mean, maybe there was a scene that happens afterwards that's you know, kind of off screen where he goes and kind of just takes a knee and he was like, holy crap, what am I going to do as king? You know, (laughs) 
That is to true. To go from we we yeah. do need to see that scene of after they've declared him the king of the north because even when Rob was declared king of the north, he never wanted that either. He was just trying to be the warden. He was just trying to be what it was that his father wanted him to do, and then he was trying to you know avenge his father, I guess. But they declared him king of the north, and now they're declaring John king of the north. So. I imagine that's just a greater responsibility that John never thought he was going to have. Or wants, yeah. See, it, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because here you have somebody who doesn't want this great power and they're giving it to him. And meanwhile, you have these other people that want this great power, but like they're either too far removed from it or nobody in their right mind would give it to them. Right, exactly. So, uh, and that's kind of an interesting position to be in. That's also kind of telling about northern cultures, like where they need to have a king. It's like we can't get anything done unless we have central leadership. <laughs> like somebody has to tell us what to do and where we can voice our complaints to. Uh, you're right. I didn't even think of it that way, but you're you're right. It's like they're just begging for serfdom, I guess. <laughs> Meanwhile, the wildlings or the free folk are like, "You people are ridiculous." Yeah, that's why we went north. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're not gonna deal with you guys. We're going home. So yeah, so yeah, some interesting situations brewing in the north, and also some really interesting ones brewing in the south and on the other side of the sea. So we'll see. Exactly. That's what, and that's where I have to say that we are gonna cut it into part three next week when we come back. There's this just, is unprecedented. Very unprecedented. But, you know, there's so much interesting things that happened in this last episode that if we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, we'd just be doing an injustice. Uh, <laughs> part two. <laughs> part two. With armor. No. <laughs> so, yes, we will have to cut it here and we will deal with the rest of what is happening in the Winds of Winter. Uh in next week's episode if we get it th- we get through if we end up going to part four then we go to part four you people you guys like listening to us we have interesting things to say it's okay you love us so uh we will have to be we'll have to meet back here next week john are you okay with that well <laughs> i'm gonna have to find something else to take up my time in the meanwhile but sure why not okay <laughs> Uh, John, where can they reach you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at at Magic Bollocks. Mm-hmm. Not two ats. For some reason, I stopped talking and then restarted my speech. <laughs> so yeah, it's at Magic Bollocks. Can you, can you please and... tell me how you arrived at this Twitter handle? Um, It's kind of a funny story, actually. Oh, really? So I wanted something... Well, first of all, all the good ones are taken. <laughs> that was my first problem. Okay. I actually had... I had this exact same problem when I started my Pokemon Go account. Um, I tried John, taken. I tried Johnny, which is something my family calls me, taken. I tried Johnny Five. Apparently, there's a movie enthusiast out there that already took it. Um, I tried Johnny C, taken. Long story short, I couldn't think of anything to call myself. Um, I ended up using something like Bangstick on pokemon and hey that one wasn't taken but now i'm stuck with it <laughs> i'm going to be known as pokemon trainer Bangstick. Bangstick. yeah i i was just two like words i put together 
and that one was a combination that no other human had taken up until that point. So I'm like, <laughs> whoa, kudos to me for that originality. <laughs> so on a similar note, yeah, I couldn't come up with anything on Twitter that wasn't like John2358 or something like that. Right. Or uh, <laughs> I was considering doing something funny like have two underscores in my name, but then I thought how ridiculous that would be. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. There's no reason to yeah, be that hurtful. One's, <laughs> that one's for GT. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so I'm like, all right, let's break this down. What do I like? I like things like magic and video games. Actually, I'm really condensing this because this is not as funny a story as I thought it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, like my favorite class in World of Warcraft is the mage. So I'll something mage related. And, um, yeah, a lot of that was already taken. So, okay, how about magic? Mages use magic, so let's put that in there. Magic something, magic this, magic that, magic fire, magic ice, magic whatever. Nothing. I'm like, and for some reason, it kind of hit me like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I thought, hey, what about magic bullshit? Take it. Holy crap. I, that, wow. Like, this is such bollocks. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. There you go. Magic bollocks. Type, type, type. Not taken. Awesome. <laughs> now I'm magic bollocks. <laughs> well, I like it. It gives it a little bit of regality and then a little bit of mysticism. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's just perfect. So uh, I'm glad you got it. Um, yeah, if that didn't work, my next one was probably going to be magic Rocky Mountain oysters. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that bollocks worked then. <laughs> it it covers it, so yeah. <laughs> uh and as aforementioned, I am at agent underscore of the underscore bat. That's the second underscore that gets everyone. And then <laughs> uh we're also at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. So if you have anything extra that you wanted to uh throw in or wanted us to cover in next week's episode or the week after after that Go ahead and hit us up there. Um, we're also on Facebook as uh, Geekly Radio, where most of our conversations are, are done. But then also check out our website, which is geeklyradio.com, for archived podcasts of this show and other shows on the network. But until next week, this has been the Geeks Watch on Geekly Radio, saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to regularly scheduled programs.